0: Alright, I'm looking forward to speaking to our guest today, Shelley Sood is an author and an entrepreneur and we are going to talk about bipolar disorder, Shelley says that 90% of marriages end in, in divorce when one spouse suffers from bipolar disorder, what every suffering couple or family member should know about bipolar and maybe if we're lucky we'll get to talk a little bit about skincare, which apparently is another one of Shelley's expertise. Please welcome to the Bright Side, Shelly Sood. Hey Shelley.
1: Hi, how are you? Thanks for having me today.
0: Yes, you're like me. You do all these different things. You're working with Deepak Chopra and meditation and quantum healing and stem cell therapy and research. I hope we get to talk about that here. But uh, we got you on the program to discuss bipolar. Tell us a little bit about when I was when I was in pharmacy school many many years ago. We called it hyper. We called it the manic depressive disorder. Today they call it bipolar disorder. Tell us a little bit about what you know.
1: So bipolar disorder, you know, there are millions of people suffering today in this country. A lot of times between 25 and 60 percent of people with bipolar disorder will attempt suicide at least once in their lives. Mm. So it is really, really important to get early diagnosis. There's about 46 million worldwide sufferers. A lot of those people go undiagnosed. That's what we know as of right now. Uh, about sixty-nine percent of people are not diagnosed for one decade or more. This is the sad truth. So people live in that manic depressive phase as if it is a normal lifestyle or way of living.
0: Playing playing devil's advocate here, Shelley. How? What is the exact difference between, or is there a difference between just not? being able to handle life effectively and bipolar disorder. I mean, why is it a, a disease? Why is it a pathology and not inele- an artful or inelegant way of dealing with life?
1: Well, there's a couple of different components here. So, you know, of course, there's the genetic component, component, right? So if it runs in your family, you have a higher chance of getting this disease. But then there's the other side of the coin, because, you know, according to, like, experts like Dr. Deepak Chopra, a lot of these genes that become active in our bodies and you know, cause these degenerative conditions like you know neurological conditions or whatnot are only—it's only about five percent of genetics. The other ninety-five percent is attributed to your lifestyle, your environment, uh, what you know, what your childhood was like, what you know, people say around you, how you grow up, your belief system. So there, there's a lot of different aspects to it, but that's kind of it. question:
0: But why is it a disease? Why is it a medical thing and not just? A lifestyle thing. Why do you need a doctor and not a life coach when you have bipolar disorder? You understand what I'm asking you? How's it, be- yeah. how's it become medicalized? Go ahead.
1: You need both actually. You you need you, you do need a doctor because you need a doctor to recognize the symptoms and, and treat the symptoms as effectively as possible using traditional medicine. But you also need a life coach because if you just have one or the other, like say somebody just gets the medication and they're treated for the condition, they don't have the emotional support and they don't have that love um within their family or you know, their spouse or whoever it may be, they'll they'll still potentially crumble. So it's actually two components, it's the disease factor that has to actually be treated as well as the emotional side.
0: So when you say treated, what, are you talking about medication treated or you're talking about psychological stress, psychotherapy treated? What do you mean by treated?
1: So medically treated in terms of having psychotropic drugs or you know, mood stabilizers or antidepressants or a combination of which depending on what the doctor administers or decides upon as well as continuous therapy for years and years and you know like for example my husband has been going through therapy for several years now and will continue it so you know but i also think you know not to throw in another curveball here that there is a spiritual side that also is very important to look at and to consider because you know any one of us whether we have Bible or not there's three components of our well-being and that's your spiritual that's your spiritual health, your mental health, and your physical health. So the problem is the doctors are looking at physical health, right, when you look mm-hmm. at traditional doctors. And when you look at your psychiatrist, they're looking at the mental side of things. But people are not looking at the spiritual side enough.
0: Well, you're, you've come to the right place because we're all about the spiritual side of healing on the bright side. So elaborate, please. What is the spiritual relationship or what are the, what are the spiritual components of bipolar disorder?
1: Sure. So, you know, whether it's bipolar disorder or not, from the moment we're born, we have trauma and we are snatched from our mother. We we were, you know, in the womb. We were snatched from our mother. We had vitamin D injections, doctors cleaning us up, whatnot. But the the natural attachment is, is gone, basically, in that moment. So that is a traumatic experience for every human being. So, you know, that actually has an impact on your growth as a child, your growth as an individual, and as an adult. Now, also, a big factor is your belief system. How is our belief really formed? Our belief is formed from the parents, people around us, our mentors, our parents, when we're children. We look up to our parents. We, we form those ideas of right versus wrong about what to do in certain situations, everything from our parents if we're raised by our
0: That's parents, very like, scary.
1: Are.
0: That's a very scary <laughs> thought. <laughs> that explains oh, a lot yeah. about me, by the way. Just kidding. <laughs> All right, go ahead. Yeah, our
1: childhood has a huge impact. And, and we're, we're like computers now and we have this operating system garbage and in garbage
0: out system. you ever hear exactly. that hey hang on to that thought i want to talk about that because that is really interesting and i've noticed there's certain uh, things that all the bipolar people that i've worked with and i've known there's certain things they have in common when they're what that happened when they were kids we'll talk about that when we come back from our break shelly suit is with us author and entrepreneur we're talking bipolar disorder working title of her new book untethered more with shelly sued on the bright side right after this thank you for listening to gcn Visit GCNlive.com today. Okay, we are back on the bright side. We're talking to Shelly Sood, author and entrepreneur about bipolar disorder. When does the book come out, Shelly? Uh,
1: the book should be out hopefully in the next uh, year, year and a half.
0: Okay, book's called Untethered. So uh, I noticed when I, and I've dealt with a lot of bipolar folks, I remember the first guy, the first time I heard of it, it was called manic depressive disorder, as I say earlier, uh, I met this guy at the library, I was in college, and uh, he was the the funnest guy I'd ever seen, we were having so much fun, he was laughing and playing around, I just had the best time with him, and then the next day I went to his house and he was really depressed. I was like what happened Jay what happened he says oh I have this thing called called manic depressive disorder of course then it became bipolar disorder and I've, uh-huh. I've dealt with patients like this for many years and what I notice is there's always almost every time I think every time actually there's childhood trauma at the bottom uh-huh. of it and it seemed to me like it's kind of like a way of not dealing with trauma like the ups and downs are a distraction mechanism a diversion mechanism what do you think about that
1: Yeah, I I think there's a lot of validity to what you're saying there, you know. I mean, every single person, you're right, that I've met who's had this disorder, it's the same thing. There's childhood trauma. Yeah, it's the childhood trauma, absolutely. And and I think, you know, it is so important for, you know, the experts in the field to look at that, to, to really try to heal that trauma.
0: Yeah, and um, that's that's what I was asking you earlier. It seems like medicalizing this thing with Prozac and, you know, psychotropic uh-huh. drugs, as you mentioned earlier, it seems like that is not necessarily an effective strategy because you're not really addressing the problem. The problem isn't the chemicals. The chemicals are secondary to the trauma. It's not like uh-huh. the, the problem is the chemicals. What do you think about that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I would definitely agree with that. However, I would say in our case, my husband... A manic phase was so severe, yeah. And then
0: he, dangerous, it into a,
1: that it became well, dangerous to the point yeah. where, you know, we didn't really have time to kind of address the yeah. trauma. We had to really stabilize him with
0: mm-hmm. psychotropic. Yeah, that's the, that's the, you know, I'm a pharmacist, and i I definitely not Pollyannish about drugs, and there's times you need medication to stabilize things. The problem is the reliance on it when it becomes about the, med, the healing process becomes about the medication, when the medication is more like a Band-Aid that keeps things from getting worse while you're addressing the problem. You say something very interesting here. You say it takes approximately six years for a psychiatrist to diagnose bipolar disorder. How, how explain that, because that doesn't seem like it should take six years to see somebody's going up yeah. and down like that
1: sure sure absolutely so just like your friend Jay you know you saw him when he was in his manic phase and you saw him when he was in his depressive phase now a patient who is in their manic phase they're elated they're have grandiosity behavior they feel like they can conquer the world they, they don't feel like they need any help they feel like everybody else typically is the one who needs help so in that state of mind when you're manic chances are you're not going to go to see a doctor You know, you're having bouts of creativity, you're staying up Right, you're having fun. You're having fun, you're you're invincible, you know? So nobody's gonna go when they're manic, and they're gonna go when they're depressed, and they're down in the dump, and they're, you know, cannot move, or they're completely incapacitated and frozen, cannot function. So when that happens, a lot of the times the patients just give half the story to their doctors. And they tell them, well, I'm very depressed, and this is how Uh. I'm feeling. say, oh, you know what? I'm pretty sure that looks like depression.
0: Ah, and they don't notice they the, the pathology, the mania.
1: Exactly, exactly. So if somebody mm. is really not knowledgeable like their family members or looking out for it, 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 they're doomed, you know? I mean, it can just, the cycle can repeat itself. And the other big problem here is that when these patients go to these physicians, these psychiatrists for a diagnosis, and they get a antidepressant, What happens is that they're administered just the antidepressant alone without a mood stabilizer.
0: Yeah, that that makes sense. So you say there's uh, three steps to glue your marriage and family back together after the destruction of bipolar mania. First of all, tell us what you mean by the destruction of bipolar mania, and then tell us about the three steps.
1: Sure, sure. So the destruction of mania, It can be very, very devastating on a family. Um, What I endured is, you know, verbal abuse, um, a completely different person who, who changed literally overnight. And he had tremendous animosity towards me, towards the family. You know, he blamed his problems basically on the marriage. And he sought refuge by, you know, leaving the marriage, thinking that that was gonna make him feel better. So for me, that was kind of my story. Now, everybody's story is individualized. It just depends on, you know, their situation. But as you know, it's always boils down to childhood, right? The childhood trauma. Um, Outside of that, you know, there are typical symptoms that people see that, you know, speed talking, lack of sleep, um, moodiness, irritability, uh, sometimes anger, you know, major bouts of creativity when they're manic. Uh, Totally incapacitated when they're depressed.
0: So, what are the three steps?
1: So, you know, the first step is really, you know, you got to look beneath the mask of your loved one and you have to just understand that, you know, he is still there and realize and believe and, and try to heal, try to help him without getting upset over, you know, his behavior, his or her behavior about how they're lashing out at you or how they're abusive, it's a very difficult thing to do to look underneath that mask and to know that your loved one is there, is there somewhere, and it's just a matter of time to believe that he's going to come, he or she is going to come back to you. That's kind of, you know, the first step to really, you know, helping save a loved one's life. The, the other step is really, you know, to follow the path of highest resi- resistance, meaning, you know, the, the problem with my situation is that nobody believed me, no psychiatrist, no doctor, no lawyer, nobody believed me in what he was dealing with. And I had to have conviction in my ideas and the truth hmm. and kind of go against the grain of what really, you know, was going on here. So that was really
0: difficult. Did he seem like a normal person from the outside? Or to people who weren't living with him or close to him?
1: Yes. So he was a master of disguise. Mm. Um, He was able to manipulate the lawyers, the doctors, uh, the therapists, to the point where they believed I needed help. And that I was just struggling from this broken marriage and just heartbroken. And I was not somebody who was able to hide her emotions. I would go there and be very emotional and, you know, tell them the story of what was happening. And I was fearful that something would happen to my children. I had a 14-month-old baby. So we have a legal system that's really skewed, and that's a whole other topic (laughs) to address. But, um, you know, the legal system really just didn't protect me either. They didn't protect
0: my children. So how does that, how did healing his bipolar disorder affect your relationship with him?
1: Relationship now is better than it ever has been. Um, that healing journey that he endured, and I give him, you know, I give him props for that because you know, without his conviction and drive, we wouldn't be where we are today. Um, our marriage is amazing. I mean, he's an incredible father. He's an incredible human being. And you know, that mask was really—it was taken off, and I really, you know, was the only person who unconditionally loved him throughout all this, because even his parents deserted him.
0: All right, last minute, I got so much more I want to talk to you about, but we only have a minute, and I would be uh, remiss if I didn't mention meditation. Tell us how meditation fits into the healing process.
1: Sure, so, you know, after he was healed and everything, or was in the road to recovery, I should say, I had to really look at my trauma and I had to heal my own trauma and think about myself. And so I had bouts of, you know, panic disorder, panic and panics and, uh, you know, it was somewhat like a PTSD. So I really turned to meditation. You know, I turned to meditation. So you healed
0: with meditation, not him.
1: I did, yeah. So he adopted uh. meditation as well. Um, So it's kind of a joint effort. We just got back from the Deepak Chopra retreat out in L.A., so it was a fabulous time. Um, But, yeah, that healing journey really changed me because it, it really allowed me to trust in the universe, to really guide me. And I relinquished control to every situation and was able to turn off the noise, turn off the noise, turn off the opinions of others, and really explore my creativity. So it helped my business grow. It helped me grow as an individual. It helped me to move past all of the trauma because I was living a fight versus flight mode, and it was a constant thing. And, you know, I was activating my sympathetic nervous system constantly. So my body was deteriorating. My adrenals were just shocked.
0: Turning off Um, the noise is is well said there, and we're out of time, Shelly. Shelly Sood, author, entrepreneur, author of the upcoming book, Untethered, And uh, thanks so much, Shelly, for being on the bright side. That's all the time we have for today. I am Pharmacist Ben. Have yourselves a wonderful, beautiful, awesome, spectacular day. We'll talk to you all later, folks. Bye for now.